Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform. Today we have Carol Raps. She is an IT audit assistant director at the University of Texas at San Antonio. And one of the more interesting things I think uh, that we discussed was how to get the audit report out the door faster. I know I've been a part of issuing audit reports and it can take weeks if literally not months sometimes. And she does it with this whole uh, approach with, with using technology in Teams or Zoom or whatever that uh, softwares that you know your team uses um, so if nothing else listen to at least the first 10 minutes when we talk about that um, also she has a kind of a unique perspective on user access in her kind of background uh, she's she's got 30 plus years of information security um, practice and so and a lot of that of revolving around user access and, and how she kind of approaches that from the audit perspective, which is pretty interesting. And then lastly, she gives a shout out to uh, someone that kind of made an impact on her as far as audit report writing. And so she kind of gives a shout out to that person. And, and, and because of that, I actually reached out to that person and had her on the show. And so her episode will be out. Margie Bastola is who I'm referring to. Her episode will be out sometime uh, late 2020. So keep an eye out for that. Um, It was really good, really good stuff coming from Margie as well as Carol. So this is a really good one. I think the report writing approach that you guys use, like when you use Teams, was something else that um, I wanted to bring up. Well, and I also think that um, you need need to vary the, the medium, you know, different types of communication for different audiences you know what is the purpose of the report Mm -hmm. it's the final documentation of the work that you did so that somebody can pick it up two two years later and look at it what is the value of the communication to get it the issues resolved that needs to happen during the process and sometimes a powerpoint presentation or an oral presentation of the issues and stuff is a lot faster and a lot better to actually resolve the risk and i don't think that we have thought of that um in our audit community and that's what i work towards is there's different reporting mechanisms throughout the audit to get it out and get it addressed and then what needs to really be in the content of that report depend upon the audience you don't We've been writing these books, okay, chapters and chapters. 
we need a one-page report that basically just details out this was an issue, this was an issue, this was an issue. They don't need to know all the details about what was done and everything like that. They can go back to the work papers or go back to other communications to do that. Yeah. So like, could you walk through an example of one, how you use Teams to like collaboratively, co collaboratively um, edit the report and get it out as quick as possible? Yeah. Um, well, what we do during the during the audit also is I developed a what I what we call a potential observation worksheet, where the auditors can jot down and put in um, the observation, the criteria, and that type of stuff, and they can get it out with the client um, and start getting action plans and causes back uh, during the audit, and um, we can put additional facts. That's where they can put a lot of words there and they can use technology words if they need to um, because they're working with that client at that level. Yeah. Okay. But there's certain fields that we say, I say, right. As simple as like you were going to talk to somebody who's never been involved with the audit, doesn't understand anything and that type of stuff. But we use teams. We'll come together with the team and just use shared documents and pull it up. And one person is editing there and we sit there and we, talk it through. I read it, I see it, I'm hearing it this way, and then we agree upon the wording to change it. We even do, uh, sometimes we'll get on with the client. That's what I was gonna ask. Okay, once we send it out, in fact, we've got a meeting coming up um, tomorrow um, where we're gonna get on with the client and they're, they're questioning the facts. We can share documents to show them the facts, but then we can write the, rewrite the wording of it so that it makes sense. Um, from that perspective, and then we can just cut and paste that into um, a report. Mm -hmm. And um, all the report writing that I've went to and everything like that, you know, oh, you got to write the cause, you got to write this, you got to write that. Well, the audience at the end doesn't want to see all that stuff. What they want to see is the issue, the impact, and what's being done. And it needs to be in like two or three little sentences, real simple, non-tech. Um, and it has to assume that the reader does not know anything about the process or anything about um, the, uh, the, the technology that's being used or anything like that. And yeah. we're actually piloting, uh, going to a PowerPoint um, report. And it's just a table and that it has just those three fields in it. Um, and we can also use that as our audit committee presentation also. So it's killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. And so is it a, you have the one iteration within your team and then the other one with the client, is there, does it typically go more than those kind of two meetings or is it one meeting, two meeting, and we're basically done? Um, It'll be usually about two meetings. Um, sometimes uh, I'll work with my team and then we also have to have a second one with the CAE just to uh, address their needs. But I've also gotten to the point of just saying, no, bring him in. <laughs> um, and this whole concept of sending it out to one person, you know, like single lining it, you know, for review, mm -hmm. you know, send it to this person and get their review comments back and change it. And then send it to this person and get their review comments and say, no, 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 get them all in the room, send it out, say, Hey, read it. If you're prepared, 
get into a room and talk about everybody's comments at that point in time and make the changes that are required. Yeah, and you don't necessarily have to have teams, like you don't have to have that tech to do it. It's the idea of everyone collaborate on it together, let's bang this thing out in one shot. Um, instead of the the back and forth and then like once you get it internally and you send it to the client then you still have to wait which is you know a lot of times part of the problem is getting it back from them and then you know that can last a week that process of sending it to the team and then getting to the client can last a week just to to do that so getting well, and everybody you go together. through multiple levels of the client yeah that's true okay yeah. so a week um, with being generous i think and um so actually teams has actually made this a lot easier um when we were doing it and you're trying to get into a conference room and pull the document up and just make the changes on a screen there um i found that teams is actually facilitating and making this easier and faster than even doing that because then i had to worry about getting meetings set up and timing and all that type of stuff where people could just sit at their desk mm -hmm. and come into teams and stuff and they're more apt. I'm finding that they're wanting to go to teams meetings better than other meetings. Yeah. Um, even before we uh, went remote with the uh, coronavirus and everything like that, I had our clients were basically saying, can we team in? Can we team in? Can we team in? So we would have a, a hybrid meeting. Mm -hmm. Some of us would be in a conference room and then the others would be on teams um or calling in and we would be working that way yeah and then you talked about moving to a powerpoint is that also incorporating more visualizations because i know that's become something that a lot of people have started to do yeah it's incorporates colors okay. into it and the colors speak really fast versus the words so like if you're rating your observations high medium or low we have a little box up at the top that basically is high, medium, or low and, or, or critical. And we use colors, you know, the red, blue, yellow, green, whatever you want to use, whichever works for your organization. And um, it, it speaks really fast. Um, and if you see that color, it's like a green, so it's a low, a lot of times they just skim right past that. Um, they'll read it later. And we can concentrate on the ones that are high that type of stuff. But more important, why we were going to PowerPoint, and then we, what we'll do is we'll save that as a PDF for the future. You know, I work for a, basically a state agency, even though it's higher education, it's a right. state higher education. So we have to send these reports out to a lot of different state agencies. So we'll put it into a PDF form like that. But what's better is we were finding that we write a report, send it out, get all the signatures on it and all that type of stuff. And then we would have to uh, create a PowerPoint presentation for our audit committee meeting. So that was like double work. Yeah. Yep. Or we would use the PowerPoint for an exit conference, that type of stuff. So it's all one in the same now. If you make it the same document, you're not preparing three or four different documents. So that's speeding up the time of reporting and it's reporting it in different formats. Yeah. It's kind of like with, um, work paper solutions, those types of tools where it used to be, you'd have to copy and paste, like maybe the objective or, um, the description or something like that across like three or four different work papers. And then you get to the point, it's like, 
why are we just copied and pasting all this stuff? And then, you know, obviously you can kind of automate that with, um, work paper solution tools or uh, even bots if you wanted to. Uh, I think everything's going to these dashboards and the reporting on these dashboards. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would like to take, I would like to personally, I mean, we've been talking about reports and all of that type of stuff. Ultimately, I would like to reports to go away. You know what? I, I just don't see the value of the reports. Um, things like this, where you can have a historical and you can just drill down and see the, see what you need to see yeah. and scope it in to me is a better tool. It's a, a knowledge base. It's a repository. And then identifying duplicates, uh, doing different things with that is probably a better way of communicating issues. And then you can also with ones that have like impact, you know, you could bring them up together and they could see that, well, maybe we have a systemic problem across processes. That's a good point. And stuff like that versus when you just do it report by report by report, you, you miss that pulling together of the information. Yeah. You miss um, it in the aggregate. In the aggregate. Yeah. And to really look at the organization overall. Um, and from an audit perspective or just maybe from a process improvement perspective, because I have that type of background too. To me, that's more important information that the management should see. They mm -hmm. should, they need to be able to see when they're looking at these individual reports that come out over the course of a year or whatever, they're not seeing the systemic issue and nobody's seeing that. Nobody's looking at it from that perspective. Yeah. It's impossible. Right. And so you can keep having multiple, you know, the same finding basically in every single organization or every single process you're going, well, that's <laughs> going to tell you maybe you have a cultural problem yeah, or you have a system problem across the board. Mm -hmm. If you're seeing that in every single department, why would every single department being trying to see solve that? Why aren't we looking at it from a systemic perspective? One of the things that I'm thinking about doing, and I'm, I haven't got it, got it to that point yet because I've got a data analyst in place, but I've been having to do a lot of data analytic uh, projects uh, on an individual project level, but take teammate, for example, um, you can put in there, you can put in some fields and you can put keywords like uh, this is a cultural issue or this is a collaboration issue or, you know, something like that, or this is a management support issue, you know, come up with some keywords or categories, then pull all that data out and do some dashboards like this and say, basically, listen, we have this many observations that were written and the cause was a control breakdown. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or control erosion or something like that, or, um, signature authority or something like that. And if you could see that across the board, then you go, wait a minute, is this a cultural issue? Is this a management issue? Is this even just management pushing down the fact of uh, they don't care about this control? Okay. So, you know, what, what kind of dashboards can we produce across that board so that they can come to the conclusion that maybe as a management team, we're not uh, supporting the controls or the control environment the way we need to. Yeah. And how much better would that be <laughs> to just show that to them? Well, and have come with their own conclusion. They yeah. need to, you need to be able to put it out there and then drop, drive the conversation so that they can draw their own conclusion. So you're not the bad guy coming in and telling them you're doing a bad job running the organization. 
you're presenting facts to them so that they can come to the conclusion that maybe we need to change our culture a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody's always saying you have to audit management, you have to audit culture, you have to audit communication, you have to audit governance. Well, how do you go tell your boss that he's doing a horrible job? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really easy to say. <laughs> you know, um, but if you can present some facts to see how their actions are driving the environment down below and how the business is being managed, then they can come to that conclusion. Um, we might be able to drive uh, changes at the higher level that are very, very beneficial to the organization. Yeah, it's gonna make an even, an even bigger impact. Um, right. So I know we did talk about the systemic issue within like terminated users. And I know user access is a big, uh, piece of what you do and, and a big part of the organization that you believe in testing those controls. And there's so much that, so that, you know, there's new users, there's terminated users, there's transfer users, and there's um, super users or administrative users. And then right. even within that, there's segregation of duties within all that. And all of that, I think, in my opinion, can be mitigated with a, an effective user access review and I know you're a big fan of access reviews and the tools that support it and how to facilitate it and all that so is that something you want to speak about is the access review process yeah well I think okay I've been doing this either on the IT side or on the audit side for 35 plus years okay my low-hanging fruit is I can always come in and find observations in your access management mm -hmm. and it stems back to um, a few things that really bother me um, is one is how do we develop access management and user roles okay uh, first thing is is we always develop these roles or these groups and everything else based on organizational structure you know job title mm -hmm. okay what changes in an organization more frequently than the entire organization than the product line itself people's titles uh, how the organization is organized. And so instead of designing access based upon organizational structure, we should be basing it upon functional, um, the functional design of the systems. In other words, I'm a pay a vendor. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's not a person's title. I could have five different people in the organization with the, uh, the job duty to pay a vendor. It, five different titles okay if I um, and I could have people with the same title that their job duty isn't to pay the vendor right okay but all of a sudden I'm giving them access because I've built it based upon job title and I'm giving them access more access than they need to do the job duties that they've been assigned so it needs to be anonymous autonomous of uh, job titles and organizational structure that allows the organization to change and job duties to be realigned um, and helps you to administer that um, functionality. I mean, every single body's job description has other duties as assigned at the bottom, right? <laughs> that other duties that be assigned at the bottom can be anything yeah. um, totally outside your department even. So if we would go in and design these roles and stuff autonomous of 
the uh, more based on the type of transaction or the job that you're performing versus your job title and and that type of stuff we could administer it a little bit more effectively so um, it's basing the the access more off job function instead of job title is that what you're saying yeah. okay. function or system design system functionality system functionality okay okay and so that we can then control that a little bit better and we can give it to various people and if your job title changes we don't have to give you a different role because if you're still your job title changes, but you're still doing this function mm-hmm. and you, you still have that role. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We wanna say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy to use audit risk and compliance solutions, streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Um, from and is this done, if we're doing this like best practice-wise, Obviously, when you come in to the organization, your hiring manager would be the one that would kind of dictate, like, this is what we need you to do. This is your job function. This is the access that you have. Uh-huh. And, over, and over time, that's assessed through the user access review, right? That's right. right. So you move jobs, uh, you get a, jo- a, a change in job title for seemingly kicks and giggles, because that's what, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll them, you know, a different job title, but, you know, nothing else has changed because they want to reorg or something to that effect. Um, so in that situation, that's what you're, you're talking about too, right? right? The access review would catch that and you could adjust based on the new job function if needed or keep it the same based on the fact that well, it's a, a change in title. Right, where you can have, um, okay, as a person is an employee regardless, okay? Every employee is gonna get employee self-service in the PeopleSoft, you know, so that they can get access. Yeah. Everybody's, doing this so you don't need it to be designed about this job function okay now i have to give them employee self-service i have to give them this i have to give them that you know every employee gets it so you don't have to build these roles these complex roles um from that perspective it that that's the biggest problems i have is um it'll reorganize and then what doesn't get addressed is the changing of the the job functions or whatever to match what you set out there. And so people, it gets really convoluted. Um, and then also, you know, you have transfers and stuff and people keep their access and, you know, so we don't go through and analyze what is this person's role, not what their job title is, what do what I have them doing and give them the right access based on what they're doing. And that's, and that's documented from that perspective. And I think the transfer one is the one that kind of gets it. This is the hardest to kind of keep up with um, because of all the communication that has to go on. And then especially depending on the size of the organization, the size of the system, the amount of management managers that have to do the review doesn't make it easy. And I know you've talked about automated tools and how to, facilitate the whole access review process. Cause I've seen it done, you know, where there's literally 30 plus managers and 
one of the administrators of the application exports the, the user access report and then breaks down each uh, managers, folks within it and all their access into a individual Excel file and then emails out 30 different ones on a quarterly basis and then tracks. It. I mean, it's like, it seemed like almost a full-time job just to do that access review for this one system. So is there um, something you can speak to relative to automated tools and the facilitation of the review that makes that process easier? Um, I think the challenge is, is there's, two or three key reports that you need to come out of every single system. I need to be able to put a person's name in and um, have it tell me what access they have in English. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not just, oh, they have access to form ABCDE. Yeah. Well, what is form ABCDE? As a manager or person reviewing that, I don't know what ABCDE is. And as the auditor looking at it, you have no idea what it is. Right. So it needs to come out in English to basically say, this person can pay vendors. This person can um, collect cash, that type of stuff and post it. You know, whatever, it tells you in English what they're doing and what that gives them the capability to do. Um, it gives them the capability to delete these things. So it has to be in English. Um, I also have to be able to go in and basically say, I'm just going to use it as a screen. I've got this screen and I always come back to paying vendors because it's the easiest one to do. Yeah. Um, I've got this screen that allows me to input and modify all my student records. Okay. Um, I want to know everybody who has access to that screen. Okay, so that and I want to know what department that they're from and who their manager is. You can scan down that report really fast to say, why is somebody in the bookstore able to modify a student record? Okay, that doesn't make sense. So that would give you some things to go look at right there, then and there. But the key is, is you can use these reports to make the changes right away and and shore up your access, right? But let's take it to the next level. When you're looking at critical or root cause or whatever, these reports are controlling themselves by telling you what broke down in your, your administration of your access. Did this person get added wrong at the beginning? Did they transfer? And their um, access didn't get reviewed at the time of transfer? Um, did they leave and then come back into a different job and use the same ID? Um, those types of things. You have to, if you use those reports and take them to the next level and say, how did this happen in the first place? Then you can shore it up and prevent it from happening again in the future. We never use these reports that way. So we never fix the problem, problem yeah. of access management. And if we can take the, assume the data is there, which it should be for most applications and most user access review processes and take the data or the results from those access reviews and turn it into information in terms of, all right, we see there, you know, this manager seems to always have issues. Like if we aggregate it and track it and trend it over, uh, over time and, you know, we can put it in a dashboard then you can easily see this manager clearly is <laughs> does not pay attention when there's a transfer and then sit down with them and talk about it and, and you know, try to exactly. resolve the issue that way. 
if you can transfer it, trace it back to an individual manager, but some, a lot of times it's just a process. And it's what we talked about earlier is ownership mm-hmm. of um, notifying and whatever. A lot of organizations have went to um, individuals uh, quitting and leaving, but they don't, they don't process through HR because they're so you know, decentralized and whatever, but there, there's no um, into service processing where I collect your keys, I turn off your IDs, um, I make sure that you don't have any uh, company assets or anything like that. Um, there's no processing and there's no accountability for that processing. And so what happens is a lot of time the administrator that's doing the access isn't even notified that the person terminated right. until months after it happened where we have rules, you know, access should be turned off within, if, if it's a voluntary termination within 24 hours, if it's a non-voluntary, it should be turned off before they even walk out the door. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how do you know that as an administrator, if you're not, if, if there's no um, accountability for notifying you? The communication piece is the biggest piece. That's I think what it boils down to most of the time is communication, especially mm-hmm. in these access issues. That mm-hmm. is. And they don't know the processes. Some, a lot of the times the managers, I find that the root cause is they didn't know that they were responsible for that. Training, they just training assumed, communication. Yeah. Yeah. They, but they assumed that it was behind the scenes. It was the administrator's responsibility for that. And that it was HR's responsibility for notifying all the administrators, Yeah, not them. You know, Hey, I notified HR, you know, that's who's handled my human resources. They make the assumption that HR is going to do all that communication now. Speaking of those administrators, the people with, I know you've, you use the, the way to describe them is correction access, or I'd always say update, delete access, administrative access, the people that can control the access, add a user, delete a user, give them a permission, take it away kind of thing. And I know you, you've talked about the importance of monitoring them. Did you mean their access or moder- like the access that they're actually using or monitoring the folks that have the access? So to- there's... There's two different topics going on here. One is the administrator access to be able to add and delete users. Right. When I'm talking about correct history or correct access, it's, a, it's almost a, like a privileged access mm-hmm. that allows them to go in and change transaction history. Gotcha. Um, after the transaction is already processed. Um, and the biggest, and this happens in PeopleSoft all the time. This is a, a, an inherent weakness in PeopleSoft. I don't know about it in Workday. I've also seen it as an inherent weakness in um, other systems where the transactions and the processing of this through the system is relying upon effective dating. You know, and like if you're going to roll some, even in Oracle, if you're going to roll changes across the, you know, roll back and roll back your backups and stuff like that, it's really important about the dates so that it gets put in there um, correctly. Um, you know, I changed my address today. I move. Okay. But you mailed my paycheck to my old address type thing. So it's really important that, that effective dating happen from that perspective, but people go in and they change the effective date. It can check. 
it can affect the downward processes right. within your organization or the other processes within that system. So there should be some, some controls to, that does not allow anybody to change that history. Okay, so if you're changing a history or a transaction log and you're going in and using this correction access, where's that logged? Yeah. <laughs> so you know that somebody made that change. Okay, so if you don't go through the correct mechanism within the system, you're basically, it's like an administrator on AD going in and changing the system log and you have no history that he changed. He's trying to cover up his tracks. Right. Um, that type of stuff. So that is my biggest, I, I find that all the time and that people don't understand by making a change to this field, the downward effects. Um, oh, by the way, I just changed what you're, you're getting paid. And I, you know, post-dated a check or whatever. And all of a sudden that doesn't show up on your W-2 because the W-2 processing has already happened. Okay, that type of stuff. And it's not gonna be picked up in the next year because you put it backdated it to a different different year. Um, so, so those processes. Is the process for identifying that, is it you do this within each audit or do you say, hey, we're gonna look at correction access um at specific systems outside of a typical audit or outside of like whatever the audit is you know what i mean well, so instead of saying hey we're going to audit this area um and then within that area we're definitely going to look at correction access or do you say we're going to look at the entire landscape of correction access risk ranked of course most of the time i'm doing it because it's so huge i'll do it like i'll go with payroll if somebody changed um, effective dates or the records, the order of those records for the processing of payroll, the timekeeping or whatever, what would be the impact effect? Okay, so I want to look at anybody who can do correction access um, and maybe even change their salaries without having a history of the, of the salary being changed, that type of stuff. Because usually this is a, a high level user administrative access um, and I want to make sure that there's some controls or some auditing or something turned on that I can see what was changed. And so I'm going to look at it in that specific audit because it can have this significant impact on the results of that process in that system. And if there's not a log, are you using data in any way to determine that? So sticking with the change in pay, you could see if we could see like the change in pay for a person, if you see, Hey, it's changed three times in the year. That's kind of unusual. You'd expect maybe once a year, if you see multiple or even taking the difference um, of pay to see their percentage increase and then comparing that top to bottom across the organization or even um, within job title or something to say, why did this person get a 15% raise when, you know, most people in that position got a 3%. That's exactly what you have to do. You have to look at those types of things. Um, you also have to look at, maybe you have pay ranges and looking at people that are paid above or beyond mm -hmm. those pay ranges, um, those types of things. That's just an example of the types of things that you have to do. You have to get creative. And this is where data analytics is helping a lot mm -hmm. on this type of stuff. You're not just going in and saying, well, who's got correction access in, in their um, roles assigned to them. Um, and does that mean that they can change payroll data? It's also looking to see if there's 
some funky things going on or changes that appear that are going on that um, then you question why did that change? How did that change? Yeah. That type of stuff. Yeah. I, what's funny is a lot of times what you see here, because the systems people tell you, well, I can't create audit logs. I can't log every transaction that person does with correction mode. Yeah. You hear it all. Like, the that'll bog down my system and that type of stuff. So what you see is a lot of discretionary controls put in place by the user groups that basically say, well, these three people have this access and every time they use it, they're supposed to take a screenshot before and after and send it to us and document what they changed and why they changed it and, and get approval before they do it so that we can look at it to make sure it's not going to affect anything. Do you think that that's what happens? Yeah. Yeah. So you're taking your highest risk area and you're putting a discretionary control on it. Mm -hmm. It just, it makes it's a pet peeve of mine. It just drives me crazy. <laughs> and how do you communicate to management the risk that they're having? Um, so in, we're, we're really pushing the issue on some of this type of stuff. Um, you know, asking, please start track it, even track it for a period of time and then see how many records are being changed using this capability. Mm -hmm. And are they using it inappropriately? Maybe they're using it instead of using the normal add delete change procedures that are logged and captured and that there's controls built into that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, I found it and it's, what's amazing to me is I've been finding these types of issues for 30 plus years and we still haven't fixed it. And we still have, we don't force vendors to build systems to uh, address it in an appropriate manner. I actually had better controls when we had the big systems on the mainframes than I do in these uh, purchase products that yeah. we have running on um, other systems across the board. Yeah, and I wonder if it's because they just don't take audit into consideration as much. You know, like the person that's buying that software, if it's the CFO or somebody, maybe the CFO would understand it a little bit more, but you know, if I'm developing a software, you know, how much value is it going to add if I say to the somebody in ops or whatever, Hey, it's got this audit log also, you know, they're kind of like, Oh, that's great. I don't know how much it's, you know, <laughs> how much it costs for you to develop that, but I don't really care about that. If audit wants to look at it, they can, but, um, I think that's the key right there. Call it an audit log. It's not an audit log. Yeah. It's a transaction history log. Yeah. We got to quit calling an audit log. It got started getting called an audit log because auditors are the only ones that we're looking at. Uh -huh. <laughs> but it's not an audit log. Yeah. It's a management log, if nothing else. It's a history log. Um, and it's a history and accountability of every single action that's happened through that system. If somebody can go back and manage that, uh, change that, what's what's you know they they can hide they can cover up inappropriate actions they can make the system process differently yeah you know they could have got paid and then all of a sudden that pay is not going to be reflected in in the future uh year-end processing that has to happen those types of things where would you start if you were if you're if you're listening to this now and you think oh we've never really looked at correction access in that way where would you start? Is it just a risk-based approach or is there somewhere where it's commonly taken advantage of like payroll? Mm -hmm. I would start with my financial system. Yeah. Um, 
type thing. I would also look at my system logs, um, making sure that uh, any place that fraud could take place, somebody could get, gain some advantage of it or cover up their actions type thing. But um, making sure that those logs are sent out and aggregated someplace else where it prevents somebody from changing them. Yeah. That type yeah. of stuff. I'm going to make a plug here for a friend of mine. Yes. Yeah, sure. um, okay. So when it comes to reporting and report writing, we've all went to lots of lots of report writing training and that type of stuff. And they it's all about all these words and building these huge reports and being real formal in writing and, and that type of stuff. Well, I went to a report writing training this last year. We brought in somebody um, and I was real negative about it. I'm going to be real positive, <laughs> truthful with y'all. I was real negative. I'm not, oh my God, another report writing class. You know, you know, this is just crazy. You know, it's just not going to work. It doesn't ever help. Um, well, we went in with Margie Bastola and um, she came in and whole different viewpoint, um, simplification, less words, cutting it down, writing it in English, in current English terms, not formal English, you know, using the words that we've always been told, don't use but, or don't use this, you oh, know. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. What's a simpler way to say this? And it was all based on that. And how can we make this in English versus techies? Because all of us are dealing with systems nowadays um, or processes. And uh, I think everybody should go through her training. And she has some good tools out there and everything like that. She's also a proponent of uh, cutting these audit reports down to real short, simple um, usage and not putting a bunch of information in there, like background and stuff that you don't need to put in there, that nobody's gonna read it anyway, because you've got to present it in a form that somebody wants to read it. And if they can read it in five minutes, the entire report, they're, they're more likely to read it versus it taking them a half an hour to go through it and decipher it and um, you're repeating yourself and that type of stuff. Um, so if anybody's having challenges from a report writing perspective, they need to get in touch with this lady. Okay. And, um, we'll put a, um, I've got her pulled up now. We'll put a, a link to her uh, profile in the show notes and her website and everything else so that um, people can make sure to see her. So it's Margie Bastola. Okay. Right. And she's got a website and she's, she used to work for the IIA, I believe. And yeah. It's like for a long time, like 16 but years. She is good. And the class was good. Um, her personality is good. Um, every single person in my staff, even the CAE, learned from this. Uh, and it's helping us to go where we wanted to go. And it actually helped me to convince my CAE to go the direction I was wanting it to go, which I was very, very uh, pleased with. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. 
Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.